everybody friends, my name is Molly, your host today, and I would like to welcome you to the No Boundaries International podcast. So as a reminder, this podcast is meant to be used as a tool to help equip you in your walk with Jesus in three areas, and those areas are restoration, training, and outreach. So we're super excited and it's going to be super, super fun because we do this by using a combination of exploring biblical principles and then taking a closer look at concepts found in our Journey of Restoration CPR style e-course. And then we have tons and tons of discussions surrounding what it really means to follow Jesus in these three areas. And I'm very excited, especially for today. Because for today's episode, we're going to be having a conversation with Sandy Orchard, of course. And as a reminder, she's our co-founder and vice president of No Boundaries International. And so we're going to be talking about the importance of choice and what choice really means for our lives and in our walk with Jesus. So we're going to be tackling this subject by taking a look at the first few chapters of the Bible found in Genesis to see how this whole thing got started. And just to tell you guys, Genesis is like seriously Sandy's favorite book of the Bible. (laughs) I like to call her a Bible geek because she just absolutely loves it. I mean, you can't have a conversation with her without her saying, you know, in the first few pages of the Bible, this all goes back to Genesis. It all goes back here. So, all right, Sandy, welcome. Well, thanks. I'm excited. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Yeah. So, um, first, I just want to make the... uh, the disclaimer here, like I'm not a, a Bible scholar or, or an academic. I don't have any degrees in that. It's just, I'm just like the regular kind of person, but I'm just curious. Yeah. And I think that's what drives me. And I've heard other creative people really use that term um, when following Christ is to be curious. And so, uh, and I think with that, I, it's it's really helped me I mean, it's it's okay to ask questions, you know, and mm-hmm. sometimes you can hear an answer from Jesus on it, and sometimes you can't, and and uh, but it just really puts a uh, it stirs up a hunger and a longing for more, and so I just want to I just want to kind of put put that out there about myself, but I also want to encourage people to be curious. Yeah. And then the second thing is like we're I know through this podcast, um, Molly and I are going to be do- talking a lot about some you know different biblical principles stories, um, that sort of thing. But one thing we just want to put out there that um, one reason we're having a lot of this discussion is because the Bible is a thoroughly Jewish book and it's written by um, Jewish authors over a series of thousands of years, over hundreds of years, um, multiple different authors, but they're, they were almost always Jewish. And so there's, and a lot of times they were writing to a Jewish audience and the challenge a lot of times as we read the Bible is like, um, it's, it feels kind of like a time warp in a way because you have a Jewish writer who is a lot of times speaking to a Jewish audience and the examples they use are very cultural to that time. And, mm-hmm. um, and so like their audience at that time would have like had a, immediately would have understood the context of the story, the why behind it, all that sort of stuff. And so here we are, you know, a good couple thousand years removed from that culture. Um, and we don't, we like the way the average American thinks is different than how the average Jewish Hebrew writer thinks Mm, it's two different cultures. And so, um, and that's part of the reason that like Molly, I want to just like spend a little bit of time on these podcasts and just focus on the story and, and really delve into it because 
it takes a little, like it takes a little bit of effort to really uh, understand what the author's saying because sometimes it's it's a the Bible is a literary tool, and a lot of times they use poetry, yeah. they use different techniques, and so what you think you're reading, like in a typical American style, we read for facts. Yeah, like give me the facts. In a typical Hebrew or Jewish author, they want to tell you a story. And there's little nuances in the story and they want you to discover certain things. So it's not like, um, you know, here's the the bullet point fact sheet. Here you go, Molly. You know, this is yeah. what I want you to know. They want you to discover these things. And so it takes it takes a little it takes prayer. A lot of times when I read and I tell the people around me, I like, let's let's open this up with a prayer with the Holy Spirit, because the, the Holy Spirit, Jesus gave the Holy Spirit to us as a helper and he can reveal things in our heart. And the, the Bible is, um, even though it was written so long ago, it's it's not meant to be just like you read it, you read it really quickly one one time through, and then you got it. Right. It's a really deep, rich, um, you know, letters from God and letters from these Hebrew authors about the nature of God and about how man has struggled with that and, and, uh, and what man's heart is like and how man's heart either did or didn't interact with God, that sort of thing. But, um, and so it's really meant to be studied over a lifetime because Mm -hmm. it's, and you know, the other part of it is that a lot of the stories that you read in the Bible are multi-layered. Like you're going to get out of it what you, like the time investment that you put behind it. Yeah. And so the more time uh, that you spend in those stories and you, and you read it slowly and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you and you may do a little research in the Hebrew or Greek or whatever, you're going to find out more. But it's, it's so it's meant to be discovered, not just like I'm going to give you the bullet points here. Memorize these things, Molly. Right. So um, and then the last thing I just want to say is like Molly did a great job of describing that. I really loved Genesis. And one of the reasons is because it is, uh, you know, it's obviously at the beginning of the Bible, but it's it's super foundational in our walk as Christians. It reveals Right in the beginning of the story, there's a lot it reveals about the heart of God, mm-hmm. the nature of God, and we miss it because as, uh, you know, the typical American readers, we're looking for the facts. And so the one thing we're like, Molly and I are going to be reading with you guys about Genesis 1, 2, and 3, but typically the average American is like, they, we get hung up on the facts, like... um well, was the the earth really created in, in seven days? Did they right. really do that? And then, well, how come the plants got, you know, they they were formed before the sun came to view? Like, they're looking at the scientific facts, and that's and that's not what the author intended. Right. He, he wasn't talking about, he wasn't concerned about the scientific facts. He wants you to see the nature of God, and he wants to involve you in the story. So, I mean, you can even see that in like in the parables that Jesus says, you know, whenever he responded to people, he responded in story Yes, with the thought that then people would, would take it and chew on it Uh and keep getting more out of it as they thought about it and talked to him. Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah. And then, um, you know, in Deuteronomy, it says there's a command that was given by God and he says, I want you to take the word. And I think that he probably, the word law was actually probably used to take the law, take the word, and I, you know, speak about it with your kids. Speak about it at the mm-hmm. tables when you eat. Speak about it when you walk. Speak about it when you go through your day. And so it's meant to really dwell on. Just like yeah. you're saying, it's really meant to, like, for us to to spend the time in it. 
and to talk about it with our friends yeah. and to talk about it with others and to think about it through the day. It's not meant to just like do the checkbox thing. I read it for 10 minutes in the morning and let's move on. So yes, you described that well, Molly. <laughs> so um, I think what we'll do is, uh, now I'm going to have Molly read um, just so that you, the listener, can get full context about what's going on. She's going to read Genesis 1, 1 and 2, and then she's going to skip to Genesis 2. She'll read Genesis 2 and 3. And the reason why, there, and so a lot of, uh, one of the questions a lot of people have is why it's, it feels like there's two creation accounts. There's one in Genesis 1 and there's a, another one in Genesis 2, which is correct. And the reason why is because the author intended to show in Genesis 1 what God did. Mm-hmm. And then the author intended to show in Genesis 2 and 3 how man entered into the picture. And so it's two different feels. And so, um, so I just want Molly to read the first two lines out of Genesis 1, and then she's going to skip and go to Genesis 2, um, verse 4, and read all the way to Genesis 3, 24. And so that may take a minute, but it, it really helps to kind of get the feel of the story. And, and, and then another thing that we do here at No Boundaries a lot of times is we really encourage us to use our imagination. So mm-hmm. as Molly reads the story, kind of picture in your head, like, what would that like, what would that be like to be there? And what would that feel like? And, and kind of enter into the picture a little bit more. And could, so it slows you down yeah. in, in the reading of the story, you know, as you understand the story. Yeah, so we really are asking you guys to engage in your senses with this. So, all right. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So, that's Genesis 1 and 2. Okay, and then, so now you'll go... Yeah. Yeah. Now you'll go to Genesis two, starting with verse four and read it until uh, chapter three, verse 24. All right, here we go. It says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the heaven, made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of the life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. (laughs) It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, 
You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you certainly will die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all of the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all of the livestock and the birds in the sky and all of the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, so I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, 
The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way back to the tree of life. All right. Good job, Molly. That was good. <laughs> I was in it. <laughs> you were you were totally in it. Okay, so here what we're going to do is we're going to go back and we're going to look at certain uh, chunks of the big story that you just read. And so we'll start off with Genesis one and two. So I'll have you just read read that, and uh, we'll start some discussion around these different things. Okay, so for Genesis one verses one and two, it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was hovering over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Yeah, that's good. So then it says, let's note that right here at the very beginning, right? So we're in the beginning. It says that Father God was present and the Spirit of God was present. Right, right. So then what does this tell us about Jesus? Because if Jesus is throughout all of scripture, yes. then how do we know that? Okay. And so that's a really, really good question. Um, and so as we, um, as we, we mentioned earlier, as we read the Bible, we want to find Jesus in throughout all the Bible, because actually the Bible is one big continuous story that points to Jesus and I know that seems uh, like a little bit counterintuitive because obviously Jesus was in the New Testament. He lived during the, those years, but he said he came to complete or fulfill the law, the law right. meaning the Old Testament. The, the beautiful verse that points people back to this verse in Genesis is if you look at John 1, 1. And so it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And oh. so it's actually, here John, he's one of the, uh, you know, he's in the New Testament uh, time period where Christ had lived. And so we're talking like he's several thousand years removed from the whole story of Genesis right? when it was written. And so he's saying that in the beginning, Jesus was there because... Uh, you know, Jesus called himself the word. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and it, like, even if you look at the beginning of that first sentence, you just read about Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's Genesis 1, 1. The word God in Hebrew is called Elohim. And so the word Elohim is actually um, the plural. It's a plural word for the living God, the God that me and you as Christ followers we worship, but it's plural. And then it sits next to a verb that's singular. So in other words, there's this, there's a, a triune God, a God that's more than one person sitting next to this verb that is meant for a singular thing. You, you see what so I'm it's saying? A they. So it's they. So it's they created. So if we, re- it could be in the beginning, they. Yes. If that, what was the word? Elo. Elohim, Elohim, which actually is the plural for El, which is God, like the the living God. And so it's right there on the first sentence. 
that Elohim is more than one per is a plural. It's more than one person, and in fact, it's three persons. So you have community right from the beginning. And in the first sentence, and it's sitting next to the verb, but it's created. A, yeah, it's sitting. The verb is actually singular. It's meant the way Hebrew is designed, and I'm not a Hebrew expert, but like verbs are meant to 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 show whether that's meant. It's like a singular noun or a plural noun. They point yeah. back to the noun. And so that verb that's in that first sentence of Genesis 1-1 is, is singular. So you have the Elohim, which is plural, setting next to the, the singular, singular verb. verb. So it's the, the God, the three-in-one God, who is one. So then you get, wow. So that's that crazy? How, then you get Father, Father God, uh-huh. Jesus' his Son, and, and the, the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Because you read in... in Genesis 1, you read that the Spirit was hovering over the earth, right? Right. Okay, and so so then we read John 1 uh, that said that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so uh, He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. And so John's talking about Jesus, yeah, and he's calling Him the Word, so the Genesis 1-1 tells us what happened in the beginning, yeah. but John 1-1 tells us the who was who in, the beginning. in the beginning. And so right there, it's this huge tie of the Old and the New Testament together yeah. that are pointing to Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Isn't right? it crazy how you can have, I mean, the Bible has over how many authors? 40 or something? It's, yes. It's like, like 40, 40 plus. different over 40 different authors, and yet, and they can be written so thousands of thousands years, of years apart, apart, and they but check they're each still other. pointing to G, like they're all pointing to Jesus, even though they're written all they're written in all these different time frames and in different countries. No book does this. Uh-uh. There is not one There's other no book way. that does this. Uh-uh. And so, wow. in Genesis one twenty six, um, it does say, "Let us make mankind." So there's an us. Now it's an now you see the word like in print. Yeah. Hey, let us. Oh, okay. So now it's he's kind of confirming Genesis one one. He's saying in black and white, okay, there really is more than just one person. There's an us involved. Yeah. And so if you go back to John again in the New Testament, John one three, it says, God created everything through him, meaning Jesus, and nothing was created except through Jesus. Wow. So it's amazing. I mean that right off the bat the author in the first sentence wants you to know that God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit were right there at the beginning of time. Yeah. It's amazing. That's so good. Okay, so we've kind of uh, looked at that a little bit, that right there at the beginning on page one, sentence one, that Jesus is there. And so let's keep going. Um, and so why don't you read a little bit the Genesis 2, 5 through 9. Okay. So this is where we're going to get introduced to man, and then how there's two trees in the garden. That will kind of get us into our talk. Yes. Okay. So it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. 
The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so before we get really talking a lot about the two trees, I want you to notice that, um, so he's create, God has created this garden and everything in it is, is beautiful and it's good. It's good for man. It's good for the person. And, um, and just also as a sideline, so now the name Eden has come along. And so Eden um, is really, it's a word that means it, mean, it does mean a step, like a plane, a por- you know, a yeah. part of the landscape, but it means enjoyment or bliss or pleasure or delight. So my point being is like you can start seeing here, like in the early pages of the Bible, God's nature. Yeah. So God, that God is a good God. And I, and I, and I want to bring that out early in the whole talk because so much like of, of our culture and, you know, I can at least speak for myself that I kind of grew up under the, the lie that, you know, God is kind of a mean God and he's, he's, he's out to get you and he's going to whack you over the head every time you do something wrong. And I mean, it's going to take a lot of hard work to please him. And, you know, and so it, it's kind of this picture. A lot of times we get in culture that God's mean and vengeful and he, and he's, he's just hacked off with us and he's tired of dealing with us half the time, but it's not that way at all. And so here it is in Genesis two, everything that God is associated with is beautiful and it's good. There's not, there's no evilness in there. There's no hint of him, you know, of God being, trying to be mean or, or, you know, trying to lecture or, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's just really, it's just the beginning of seeing the heart of God. And so, I mean, he gives a garden, the name pleasure, right? He could have just said, you know, I'm going to give you this garden and you're just going to have to figure this thing out yourself. And so he's starting to show, you're starting to see in the word about how God's nature is good. And, um, and then as a little rabbit trail side tangent, I mean, as the more you read Genesis, especially in Genesis 12, it talks, God has a continual line of saying, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. I want to bless you. And so it counters that whole lie that we grow up under that, that God, Father God is this mean, vindictive uh, person that's mm-hmm. hard to reach and doesn't really care about what we're doing and doesn't you know? want you to have anything good. Yeah. That was a lie I believe for a long time is yeah. that he just like was strict and just wanted you out of like obedience to, you know, not mm-hmm. enjoy anything. Yeah. Okay. So we're starting to see the heart and nature of God. So go ahead and keep reading. Okay. So if we jump down to verses 15 through 17, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge and good of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So here's the parameter, right? Right. And then in, what does it say in verse 25? So then in verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Okay. So God's come along and he's saying, Hey, I'm giving you guys this amazing garden, this big, huge garden. Um, and it's going to, it has these trees, lots of trees mm-hmm. that bear fruit and it's good to eat. And that sort of thing. Lots of, of trees. It, now there's this one tree that I, I don't want, like, it's not going to be good for you right. to eat out of this one tree. 
But you have all the other trees and all the, the bushes and all the good things that's going on in this garden. Okay, so we have that context. And then um, that, that verse 25 that follows it is, is just real telling. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And so when the author wrote that, he's, he's not, it's not just like, again, the science report, hey, these people weren't wearing clothes. Right. It's not like that. It's so they're saying Adam and his wife were both naked. So in other words, they were pure yeah. and they were innocent. And then when they related to God at that time, there was nothing hindering that relationship. Mm-hmm. So they were, just, they were just like, God, here I am. This is me and everything in me. And uh, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm, you know, my heart is totally open to you. I mean, so when they're saying naked, they just mean like they gave gave they're all open. of themselves and they're open to what Father God wants to do in that relationship. Yeah. And they felt no shame. So if we if we say that God is good all the time, and then we suddenly notice they felt no shame. So this is really important because that meant that shame is not from God. It didn't, it wasn't in the garden. It yeah. wasn't in the beginning stages of the garden when the relationship between man and God was good. There was no shame. So therefore, shame is not a part of what God intended for us. Yeah. It's not from his kingdom. Right. And so, um, so let's just continue. We'll continue on the reading here. Okay. Well, before we do that, let's just do a short little okay. recap of the story. Okay. Let's do that. <laughs> okay. Just that we're all on the same page. So we have in the beginning, meaning we have Father God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit Spirit present. Mm -hmm. And together they started creating things. So everything's formed through Jesus. They created the earth, everything on it, and humans, right? So then when they created everything, God told the human, hey, hey, like, go ahead, rule over this place. You know, here's some land, work it, enjoy it, eat it. Mm-hmm. Like, like you, that's blowing my mind right now. <laughs> like, have pleasures and enjoy it and eat fruits and live your life, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, just that one tree. Right. So just Out of that all one the, tree. the tons of other trees. Basically, he just says, here's your parameter. Mm-hmm. Like, go for it. Just don't do this. So Adam and his wife where we pick up now, like they're hanging out, they're naked, they're unashamed, they're living their best life, walking with God. And then what happens? Okay, so then jump to Genesis 3, 1 through 7. Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Okay, it says, Now the serpent serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, so let's just... Whoa! (laughs) So let's just stop for just a second. And I want to kind of tweak this just slightly... 
So let me reread this. So the Lord God, he's okay. He said to the woman, the serpent comes into it and, and the serpent said, did God really say yeah. you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from any of the trees in the garden, but God um, did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or die. And then the enemy, the serpent says, oh, you won't die. You know what I yeah. mean? So, I mean, he's the enemy, it, like Satan at that time was putting doubt in her yeah. heart. And the, and the problem with that is she grabbed onto that doubt and she let that doubt sit in her heart. And the doubt just really opened the door for fear and like, is, is God like, is he like holding out on me? Yeah. I mean, why, why can't we, uh, I don't know if I can trust God because he, he's kind of like holding out on me here. Right. And, and am I really going to trust him with that? And then it says, um, you know, they ate the fruit and the eyes of them were open and they realized they were naked. So, so now they, so realize, now they're they naked, realize they're naked, but the, the, the thing with the being naked is now they're feeling like, instead of it being like, I'm totally open to you, God, and I have this heart, my heart is open to you and I have this open relationship with you. Now they're feeling exposed. The nakedness makes them feel like they're exposed and they're vulnerable and that causes fear. Right. Right off, right off the bat. And so then, and this is an interesting line that follows it. They sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. And that's a really good sentence that describes us as people, mm-hmm. that when we mess the things up or we do the things that are sinful, Ooh, we cover, we do this big frantic thing about covering ourselves. Mm. And so here in the story, they, they sewed fig leaves together. They made the coverings themselves. The problem with us, like here we are thousands of years later, we still do that. Yeah. We cover whether it's like a, we lie some more to, to make up the story and it, or we give ourselves these excuses why we did it or permission, you know, mm-hmm. I, I had to do that because of blah, 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 or we blame just yeah. like, yeah, exactly. And so, um, and so that's such a statement about human nature. The heart of a person is that we sin and then we just try to fix it ourselves, you know, and really what should have happened is Adam and Eve should have just owned up to it and they should have been honest before God and said, and man, we really messed up and come to him instead of running from him. Yeah. Where they would come to the father who's been good all this time. The whole story is about how God was right there and he was good, but they chose to hide, which we were going to read that in a second and make coverings for themselves. And they're going to, they're going to try to deal with it and letting, instead of letting God himself do uh, the fixing. So go ahead and keep reading verses eight through 13. Okay, okay. So I feel like this is where it really picks up. So then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. A little blame shifting there. Right, seriously. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Okay, let's... That's uh, a lot of blaming. (laughs) We have like three sentences of blame. (laughs) 
So let's look at the that little chunk right there. And so the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And so it's inferred here that this was like an like that sentence describes the normal day for them. Mm-hmm. The normal process that every day God would come to them and walk with them in that garden. Yeah. And just, you know, re, just have conversations and, and just have this close relationship with them every single day. And so um, now they've messed up, they've sinned. And so it says in the next sentence, they hid from God. And so they hid because now they're ashamed and they're trying to to fix this thing themselves instead of going, trusting Jesus, like trusting God in that relationship. Mm-hmm. They should have trusted him knowing that he's good, but now fear has entered that picture. Shame has entered that picture. And they're afraid of what God's going to do to them because they don't trust his nature anymore. That doubt has caused them to shift in their hearts to not trust his nature. Yeah. When in, but before they were fine, they were fine. And he was such a good God. And so now that doubt has, has put some lies inside their heart about who is this God that we're serving? I can't trust him. He's probably going to punish me. And now I've got to hide, you know? Yeah. And so then God comes along. We just read that he walks in the garden and uh, among the trees. And so the Lord God called the man, where are you? And so when he asked, when God asked that question, where are you? It's not like, hey, I, I can't find you on my phone. My GPS isn't working. Right. I don't know where you are. It's not a physical, like, where are you in it's the garden? It's a heart question. It's a heart question. So where are you? Where Adam, think about it for a second. Where are you in relationship with me now? Yeah. What's your heart doing? How come you're so far from me? Relationally, how come your heart is so distant and, and full of shame and trying to hide from me? It's a, it's a question for Adam. It's really not a question for God. So God is putting that question out there to let Adam think about where his heart is at that moment. And look at how quickly fear... Because then he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. I was afraid. So now that's a new thing in the garden. Fear. There's Before, before there wasn't any There was fear. never fear and there was never shame. So that the shame and the fear came when they sinned. And as soon as that, as soon as they have that fear and that shame, what happens? They immediately separate themselves. Right. right. <laughs> immediately. And we're not sure why, because they lived, they had a perfect existence with God himself. Right. And so if they had really thought about it, like, my father's really good. Yeah. And so now I've messed up and I should, because I'm in great relationship with him, I should just be going to him. Right. Instead, I'm running from him and I'm hiding. And, and I'm that's afraid. a That's a huge statement about, about people in general. That's what we do when we sin. We run and we hide and we try to fix it ourselves. And it's like when they ate from the tree, it, like they were suddenly experiencing things that they had never experienced before. Yeah. So, okay, okay, so let's move on to the next verse. So mm-hmm. we're going to do verses 14 and 15. Okay. So it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put in enmity enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Okay. So let's, there's a couple things to really notice in this. And the, and a huge one is the the second half of verse 15, where it says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So he's talking, God is talking to the, the serpent. 
And so he says, he will crush your head. So who's the he? He, he's meaning talking Jesus. To yeah, he's talking to Satan. Right. So the he will crush your head, that's Jesus. And so that's a forward-looking prophecy that's going to happen thousands of years later when Jesus is on the cross. And so it's here it is in the beginning part of Genesis where God the Father is talking about his son that's going to crush the head of Satan. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's going to break the curse that Satan has brought into the garden that's plagued mankind for forever. Now mm-hmm. we're all having to deal with that you know, implication. But so God is saying, I'm going to send my son and he's going to crush your kingdom. He's going to crush your yeah. head. He's going to crush your power. And then he's, but he continues the sentence and said, but you'll He'll strike, strike his, his heel. heel. And so that's a picture of the cross. Yeah. When, and when Christ was crucified, they put those spikes in his hands and in his heel. And they even have, um, archaeologists have, have found like some bones that actually was a, from a crucified man where the, the stake is in his heel, in the man's heel. Ugh. So this is a clear picture, um, a prophetic picture or a, a pointing to Jesus right here at the beginning of the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. That's wild. Like, it's wild that from the very... This is why you're always like, everything goes everything back to... Everything goes back to Genesis. Yes. <laughs> because it really does. Yeah. There's a super. There's just so many... There's a lot of foundational things here that you can see in Genesis if you just slow it way down and not try to look for the science report. Right. So then we'll start back in with the story. And so this picks up at Genesis 3, mm-hmm. verses 21 through 24. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flame, flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So what's happened here, and you kind of recapped it very well. So Adam and Eve have sinned. They've eaten the, from the tree they were told not to eat. And then they try to backpedal through it all and cover themselves. And they, they, they realize now they have shame and they have fear. They were afraid. And so they mm-hmm. cover themselves. They try to cover themselves and, and make their own solution to this big mess by doing the fig leaf thing and sewing this this thing to cover themselves. But what happens is Jesus is like, you know, Adam, let me fix this for you. Yeah. And so he's the one, God is the one who made garments of skin for Adam. And so it's not just like, hey, I have some new clothes for you. What happened is he instituted um, something that would be seen all through the Old Testament that in order to take care of sin, blood has to be shed. And so from this is the beginning of the sacrificial system that you'll see later on in Exodus mm-hmm. when Moses he when God commands Moses, I need you to build a temple and we're gonna start doing these sacrifices of like the ox and the, you know, yeah, the birds and all that that temple sacrifice system, because that blood will cover your sins. But here, this is the first reference to it right here. And so when he, when it says the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam, that means that God himself took an animal and sacrificed the animal and that blood was to, it was still on the skin mm-hmm. and covered Adam and Eve with that. So he took care of the sin for wow. Adam. 
Adam tried to do it with the whole fig leaf thing, and that just doesn't do anything. This all points to Jesus. Yes, it points to Jesus on the cross because because most of the Old Testament is in the sacrificial system when they killed an animal to cover the sins. The word, the key word there is cover. Mm-hmm. It's covering the the sin, but it's not getting rid of it. Right. And so here Jesus comes along thousands of years later, and he becomes the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate Passover lamb. And instead of just covering the sin, now because of Jesus' death, it gets rid of the sin. Wow. So that we don't have to carry that sin. Like, it gets totally rid of it. Yeah. And so, like, that's, that's why when you and I became Christians, we became followers of Christ, and we give our our... Uh, sin and the mistakes we've made and the shortcomings, we give it to God, he gets rid of it. But then in our typical human nature, like sometimes we're still struggling with that sin and we want to bring up the story again with God. Hey, do you remember when I did that one thing back there that we talked about when I became a Christian to follow you? Right. Do you remember that whole thing, God? Man, I'm really sorry. And I'm, I'm really sorry. And I repent of that and, and just forgive me. And, and like you want to wallow in that. And yeah. God is saying... What are you talking about? I, I took care of that. Yeah. I took care of that when you came to me and you repented the first time. And you received the blood that Jesus gave. Yeah. And he got rid of it. He didn't right. just cover your sin. He got rid of that sin. So when you have those future conversations, want to drag, you know, you want to dredge up the past mm-hmm. about, and you already had the conversation one, once with God. Right. But for some reason you're being triggered or whatever, and you're trying to bring the whole thing up. God is like, I took care of that. Why are we still talking why, about it? Why are we still talking about it? Exactly right. And so um, the point is, so when the Lord God made these garments of skin, that's out of his kindness. Yeah. That's out of the kindness of his heart. He could have just said, Adam, you made your bed. Now you go lie in it. That old saying, yeah, you're the one that screwed this whole thing up. You deal with it. But instead he, he took care of it and made the sacrifice of these animals and covered Adam and Eve with these skins. Which still shows the nature of God. It shows being good. Yes, exactly. Because the first... You have Adam, who's all, Adam and Eve all afraid and hidden in shame, and they tried to fasten their own fig leaves to cover it, mm-hmm. and then God says, no, 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 I'm going to cover you. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Exactly. So here's where we are. So basically, you have Adam and Eve, these two humans, they go from living their best life to then being tempted by Satan the serpent, the SS tempter. that was funny (laughs) and then they fall for the temptation and start to doubt god and then they literally decide to eat from the only the only tree the only command the only parameter that was given they decide to go for it and so once they go for it then they start all feeling weird and guilty and shameful and now they've experienced fear and shame that before they've never even experienced before And they realize that they're naked and they go and hide. And then God is all like, here, let me make you some clothes from these animals to cover you since you're feeling some type of way right now. Like, let me cover. Yeah, let's. he's taking care of the sin problem. But then you have to go, right? Right. But then you have to go. Because you literally chose to do the one thing. As an act of rebellion. Yeah. Yes, and we'll get into that in just a second. And so I think that, I think that all of this then leads to the question, the big question of then why did God put two trees in the garden in the first place? 
And that's a great, a really great question. And it's a very telling question. And it's important that we understand this because on one end, uh, like one viewpoint of it is it could be like, God, it just seemed like God kind of set him up for failure, you know, but that's not it. And so there's two trees in the garden. There's the tree of life and there's the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so uh, the reason why he put two trees in there is he wants your, like you as the human, he wants your choice. Mm. He doesn't want a robot. He doesn't want to have a relationship with a robot. He doesn't want to have somebody who's forced into this. He wants our choice. Yeah. And so um, love is a choice. And I know, you know, here in our culture, we have the ooey gooey feelings of when we meet somebody really special in our lives and we want to get married. Because we think we, it's a sentiment. And um, yeah. And so we, we technically fall in love with the person. But the, the, the thing is, is just as, just as much as you can fall in love with the person because you have the ooey gooey feelings, you can actually fall out of person, uh, out of love with that person because you're basing it on the feeling. Yeah. And so that's when it becomes hugely apparent that love is a choice that you're going to stick with that person in the, in the, the good and the bad and the thick and the thin, like it's a choice. Cause it's hard yeah. in relationships a lot of times to stick with a person when it, it's not fun mm-hmm. and they're doing squirrely things, you know, but, and that's where, that's where God is with it. He wants, he wants our choice. He wants our love to be for him. And so he puts the choice out there and that's actually the way, the way that he did it to give us choices actually hits his love. And it's, and it's to show dignity to us as humans. So he's given us the dignity to make the choice. He doesn't want to force us to love him. He can't say, Molly, I want you, I, I command that you love right. me right now. It's got to be your choice. And so that's why he put tre- two trees in there and he's given them the option because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to like have just robots and doing it because they have to, or mm-hmm. he wants our choice and he wants the, the love that comes with that in that relationship. And it's crazy to think like, Man, how, whenever you're talking about how in relationships, like how relationships are hard and then you choose to love them or you choose to still honor them and what they, their wishes, you know, but, but I'm thinking like, but they were walking with the God who's never once sinned against them. That's right. They gave gave that up. And even in that, like even in that, even in the perfect relationship in our, such our human nature, when we allow doubt or Satan to come in. We will just, we're so easily swayed. Yeah. So they should have stuck with the fact that they knew that God was good. And that they knew who they were. And they knew, and they that, knew right. his character and they knew who they were with him. But then they started hearing the doubts and the doubts became fear. And then it and, goes downhill from and, there. And now it's like, I'm doubting your character, God. And maybe you aren't as really as good as I thought you were. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's crazy because like, I mean... I like this, how he says that he, like, love is a choice and mm-hmm. that we get to choose who we love. Because, I mean, like, how weird, right? Like, how weird would it be if relationally we were all trying to make people love us? Mm-hmm. Or if that was even a thing that was possible? Like, it doesn't even make sense. And because God is so relational, then he allows us that space to continue to choose him over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Like that's what he wants. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this really just actually plays out in our everyday relationships. I mean, think about like our friendships 
or our marriages or not my marriage. We're not married, but like (laughs) just in marriages in general or with the people that you work with, like anything like that. But in order to be in relationship with that person, like there are guidelines, especially in marriage, like in covenant relationships and in friendships, like there are guidelines and things that you do or don't do to honor, right? to honor that relationship, to choose to love in that relationship. And it's like, it's like God said to honor me in this relationship. Here's my boundary mm-hmm. to honor me in my relationship. You can have all this, everything. Just don't do this. This is the one thing that you do to honor me is you don't eat from right. this tree. Right. And then it reminds me, I mean, it reminds me a lot of like in John chapter 14, where it says, if you love me, keep my commands. Uh-huh. And it says, he who has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Like the same option to love God like this is found even then in what right. Jesus is saying. But in, if we had, if Adam and Eve had been told that scripture in John 14, if you love me, keep my commands. The, I think also what might come out on that is that they, you can keep the command out of honoring God and to obey him. But when you don't, like it's it's a safety thing. God yeah. is telling you that when you obey me and follow me, like I'm gonna bless you. Oh, and you won't experience and all you, the fear. Right. So it's a it's to protect you because sin in and of itself, like, has consequences. Yeah. And and it's hurtful. And and like God is saying through this whole statement that Sin will kill you and sin will destroy you. And I don't want that for you. Yeah. It's not a shaking of the finger at you. Don't do this thing or else. You know, it's not like, it's not like that. What he's saying is that sin is going to hurt you. And I love you so much. I don't want to see you hurt. I don't want to see these things destroy you because I have so much more for you. Yeah. So it's coming from that angle. It's not the shaking of the finger and you disobeyed me and now you're going to really pay for it. Right. They were actually like God was protecting them from having to experience all of that fear, the shame, consequences guilt, the consequences. Those things that are not found in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Because if God is life, then God is everything that's good and it's yeah. that, that prospers us on the inside. It makes us alive. It awakens our heart. And when we choose sin... You're choosing from the the enemy. You're choosing things that'll end up destroying you on the inside and it will, without a doubt, hurt your relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then, so then let's talk about then what happens. Let's talk about when what happens when they chose then to not honor God and they chose to do the one thing that yeah. they weren't supposed to do. Like what? Like what are they really saying? So, you know. I think what they were really saying when they decided to grab that fruit and 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 do the thing that you know God told them not to do is they're doing it out of an act of rebellion yeah. and defiance, and they're essentially saying, "Up yours, God! I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to live life the way I want to because I'm smarter than you, and I know what's better for me. Mm-hmm. I know what I need, and I'm going to make myself happy the way I think I should make myself happy." Yeah, and so I'm going to define what's good for me and what's bad for me. Yeah. I'm going to be the one who defines right and wrong. Instead of listening to your squirrely little rules, I'm going to decide. And so in essence, they decide to become their own God and serve themselves. Yikes. So it becomes self, self-centered self and self-serving mm. instead of 
a relational, you know, a relationship with a God that they trust. That's wild. Yeah. And that's what, and it was never meant, it was never even meant to be like that. Uh-uh. Like, and they didn't have to do all that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that wasn't the point. They were already walking with him and they that's were right. already talking with him. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. So keep going then. So what, then what does that even really mean? Like, you know what I mean? So they're already walking with him. They're already talking with him. They already had this open communication and then they choose to not. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, it's just, they lose sight of the fact that God was good to them on every single level, that God was mm-hmm. good to them physically for providing for them spiritually. They're in relationship with them and that they, that God is good for them emotionally, that, um, so in all the different ways that we live as a human, physically, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, all of, he was like God provided for all of those and answered all those needs, all answered every desire of their heart before they sinned. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it was, it was, it was just a huge thing that the humans that Adam and Eve would just decide that I, I'm going to run the show now. I'm going to be my own God. Right. Which is a little humorous that the little tiny human is saying that to the big giant God who just created human. everything, you know. <laughs> it's like the ant, like, shaking his fist at you, the human. You know what I mean? It's like... Yes. And it just had horrible implications, not only for them, but, like, for the rest of us that came after Adam and Eve. Yeah. So then talk a little bit about, like, when Satan started posing these questions. Well, you know, the thing is, it's like he planted the doubt in there in their mind. Yeah. And, um, so he, he causes them to doubt the trueness of God's word. And it causes them to doubt the fact that God was always faithful to Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that doubt led them to fear, which led them to not trust in the character and nature of God anymore. And then to doubt what God's intention was for them. Mm-hmm. And so that, so now at this point they're like, oh, maybe God's holding out on us. Mm. I don't know. This is this is kind of looking really sketchy. Maybe maybe there's a lot more to life than what he's telling me. Yeah. And so uh, maybe I should just take the control of the helm of my life and just I I maybe I need to do things better than what he's doing. And so it you know, it opened the door wide open to fear and rebellion in their life. And so, you know, they made the choice to be their own god. Yeah. And so they chose to define good and evil for themselves instead of trusting God in that relationship. And a lot of times we do that. I mean, like, it's like Adam and Eve kind of set the precedence, and, but you can see it all through the Bible and you can see it in modern day. We can, yeah. you can see that same kind of, uh, that thought pattern and those actions in our own lives. Yeah. In current day lives. So the two trees represented choice. They could have had, they could have stuck with the tree of life, which is life in submission to God and saying that that God, I trust you fully and I trust in what your definition of good and and evil is. And that represents Jesus Mm -hmm. right at the very beginning. The tree of life is Jesus and versus the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where I choose that tree because I, I, uh, it represents the enemy and it, but it also represents that I want to experience what good and evil is for myself because I'm my own God. And I want to define what that right and wrong is. Yeah. So it's a clear choice. Yeah. Wow. And I think this, like, these things kind of put everything into a whole different perspective. Like, it's crazy how when we let our minds 
even start to get a little bit discouraged, which is what Adam, like they were feeling discouraged. And when we start to then harbor that doubt, it's how quickly, like how quickly we'll start questioning the character of God. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's a, it's a downhill slippery slope. And, um, I was watching a sermon or I was listening to a sermon from Jackie Hill Perry. Mm -hmm. And let me find this quote. Um, she said it like this. She said, when the serpent confronted Eve in the garden, he didn't just cast doubt on God's word, but also God's nature. He deceived her by saying she could eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because God knows when you eat of it, you will be like him. As if right. God was holding Eve back from something good when in fact his restrictions were always protection. Yeah. That's so good. Like, can we just sit on this for yeah. just a second? Like, Sandy, you said earlier how God's heart towards them is always good. But then when Satan comes in, he doesn't just get us to doubt what God is saying. Like we're not just starting to doubt the words of God, Mm -hmm. but we're starting to doubt his heart. We're starting to doubt his character. And then if we're not careful, this is how we start believing lies about God. As we can see literally from the story that when that happens, we start choosing to live our own way. Like it's when we doubt God that we decide to be our own gods. Uh When in the reality is that, like we talked about before, is that God was just always trying to protect us Mm -hmm. from the hurts and the fear and the shame that were never intended by Him in the first place. Yet, we choose to experience these hurts and these consequences of evil instead of walking in the way that He originally designed for us. Right, And that's what happens when we choose to be our own God. Yeah, and you can see what... That choosing to be your own God thing. Look at what happens. Like, you know, look, look at, at the repercussions of that, you know? Right. So when, we, so when we decide to be our own God and live in sin, like, what's really happening? Yeah. So sin so sin is a choice. And so it was first represented by those two trees. Hey, which tree are you going to choose, you know? Right. So it's the sin is a choice, and it's an act of rebellion toward God and, and, a, and a statement of, like, I, I don't think I can trust you. I don't trust your nature. And that choice changed everything everything for us thousands of years later mm-hmm. because now we're born with that same nature we're born with that tendency to choose sin to choose the wrong tree and and it's just a part of our nature when we're born and it's a curse that leads us to death because when we choose sin we're choosing the things that are not of god right and if and if god is holy pure and holy uh good then the other side of that coin, the enemy is totally not good and, and it really has it out for us mm-hmm. um, because we're God's children. And so, and it's, and it's interesting to note, I want to also say in Genesis 3, God didn't use the word curse on Adam and Eve. Mm. Um, and so it says that God cursed the snake and, it, and he cursed that ground that Adam walked on. And so really what I believe happened is after the act of rebellion with Adam and Eve, so God has this conversation with them. And um, if why don't you reread verses, like in chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. Just, um, just kind of bring that up and we'll make a small little point that I think is important. Yeah. Okay, so it says, To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire... Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles Mm -hmm. for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Mm -hmm. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Okay. So I believe that what God is really saying is, he's sitting him down and he's saying, listen, you guys made a really bad choice. Yeah. And now you're in this, you're in this hard spot in life. And so here's what's going to happen. So he, he, he addressed this, the enemy that he addressed Satan and he cursed Satan and he cursed the ground. But what it, that conversation right in the middle between those two things mm-hmm. is I believe that God is saying, here's the consequences. So you, you decided to choose sin. And so sin has its own consequences. And so if you're going to choose death, then you get all the things associated with death. Ooh. And so it wasn't that God was saying, I'm going to do this to you now because man, you, you, you chose wrongly. You chose the, the enemy side instead of mine. I'm going to do this, this, and this, and this for you. Right. I think that he's having this conversation with Adam and Eve and saying, here's where you are right now. Because you remember when he asked in the garden, he said, Adam, where are you? Yeah. And so I think that that conversation now he's having, he's, he's, he's laying it out for Adam and Eve and saying, listen, let me, let me describe the situation that you're in. You've chosen wrongly. You've chosen sin. And so because you chose sin, you're going to get sin's consequences. And the um, consequences and the, of sin is death. And it may not be like, I know sometimes in our head, we're like, yeah, yeah. Like I committed all those sins a long time ago. And I never died through it all. But what it does is it kills you on the inside. Right. Not and it like makes your heart death. super dull. It makes it like, you, and then you're dealing with anxiety and you're dealing with, when you choose sin, you're dealing with the whole fear and shame and condemnation. It's just constant thing that's plaguing you, like, because you're choosing the sin thing. And so, so God is saying, so because of that, you're going to have a hard time in life now. Oh my God. So he's not saying I'm doing the bad things to you because you chose wrong. He's saying you chose the wrong, you chose the wrong thing. Now you're going to have the consequences because of, of sin because sin carries its own consequences. You're not choosing yeah. me. You just chose the, you chose the sin and that's, that carries its own weight that carries its own consequences. So, so God wasn't cursing them and saying, I curse you, you know, because he didn't see, he didn't use the word curse with them. He only right. used the word curse on the snake and on the ground. But he's saying, he, I think he's given him, I think he's given them a situational, uh, like, here's your situation right now. Yeah. I hate to tell you this, guys, but now you, this is what you've chosen and you're, this is like what you're going to deal with. Because we, it didn't come from God, it came from their choice. But we see it like so clearly. Like we, I mean, we live in a culture in society, I mean, even around the globe that we're just stuck in like in our, in our anxiety and we're Mm -hmm. stuck in our depression and we're stuck in our fear and we're stuck in our shame and we're confused about it. Yet it's right here in the very beginning of the Bible. I mean, when Adam and Eve chose sin, they immediately experienced the consequences they experienced the consequences right and so why are we so shocked whenever we choose sin and then we're like man i wonder why i'm terrified but i think it's it goes back to look at how the thought processes that eve went through before she 
She yeah. took the fruit that she said. The doubt. It looked like a good thing. It looked like it was good tree, and it looked like it was good for food. Yeah, as flesh. It seemed, and there's a there's another verse in the Old Testament where it talks about some people's decisions with whether they should sin or not somewhere else in the Old Testament. But it, And the line was, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. And we do that all the time. All the time. And yet, like you can ask a teenager, why'd you do so-and-so? And they'll like, say, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, there were some of these, like Eve was, con- she's looking at the fruit and hey, there's some appealing things here. It looks like it's really good to eat. Looks like it's good for food. They're telling me I'm going to get wisdom. Yeah. So it seemed like a good idea at the time yeah. instead of just sticking with what God was saying to them. Yeah. But in reality, when we choose death, we're mm-hmm. saying, or when we choose sin, we're saying that we're choosing, we're choosing death. death. I know that sounds crazy, like radical, but it's killing us on the inside when you choose, when you choose sin. It yeah. really is. It's, it's hurt. Like it's killing your heart. It's killing your spirit. And the fruit of that is you're going to see this, the anxiety and the, all those things that we just listed. Yeah. So what does that have to do with our everyday lives? Well, so it has to do with the fact that we're confronted a million times over with choices. Mm. And so I have choices, you have choices. And so we have a choice every single day in multiple different ways. Are we going to follow what Jesus is telling us to do? Are we going to love him through that and, and trust him and what he's saying is wrong and right, mm-hmm. according to what he said in the word. Are we going to trust him in that and follow him and choose him in that? And so we have those choices, a million choices like that every single day. And sometimes it's displayed like, in what kind of attitude am I going to have today? Uh, and am I going to love either, love others really well like Jesus did or not? Mm-hmm. Am I going to have compassion on him or not? Yeah. And, you know, oh, I really like that guy over there. I wonder if I should sleep with him. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. Uh, and, uh, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm pregnant and, and I'm not married now. What am I going to do? I mean, you got choices. Yeah. And there's a million different choices that, that are presented throughout the day and throughout life. And so how, what are we going to do with that choice? Are we going to choose the tree of life, which is God, or are we going to choose the tree of the enemy? Mm-hmm. So all of our choices either push us toward Jesus or away from him. It's really clear and I know in society, we, we tend to think there's this like this gray thing in the middle that yeah. we can do whatever we want because nothing's absolute and there's really no truth. And that's not true. There's really, you, you're either choosing the kingdom of life, which is God and Jesus, or you're choosing the kingdom of death, which is the enemy. There's no gray. Yeah. And it says that a lot in the word. Yeah. And that's where then, I mean, people are are choosing whether or not basically essentially that they want to rule their own lives Mm -hmm. or if they want to be their own God. And that's what like, I mean, we currently, and probably forever, probably everyone could have said this throughout history, but I know we live in a world where it is culturally um, encouraged even to live your own truth, Mm -hmm. right? And to do what brings you happiness. Like that's like the thing that we're sold. Mm -hmm. And as a society, we're even encouraged to then be our own mini gods and encouraged to build environments around what brings us pleasure. Mm-hmm. And then how dare anyone tell us that we can't. Mm-hmm. And then we rise up and try to fight against it. And so there's this book and it's called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self by Carl Truman. Mm-hmm. And he's a sociologist and he's just brilliant the way that he has captured how we got where we are in society. And Here's a quote from his uh, from his book kind of on this, but it says, 
We all live in a world in which it is increasingly easy to imagine that reality is something we can manipulate according to our own wills and desires, and not something that we necessarily need to conform ourselves to. And then he keeps going like, if we keep letting society define what we're doing, society would say, that human beings are called to transcend themselves, to make their lives into works of art, to take the place of God as self-creators and the inventors, not the discoverers of meaning. Wow, that's really good. And it's such a good book. Highly mm-hmm. would recommend. Mm-hmm. But in other words, like we're saying that that when Adam and Eve were first in the garden and they received their true identity from God... And they knew how they were fitting into his world and they were living out their best lives in truth. But then when they chose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then they decided to stop living in their true identity that only comes from submitting to God and his ways. And they went to deciding that they were going to be their own gods and that they would manipulate now their own environments according to whatever fleshly desire they were having. Mm-hmm. And it's so real because then then now and this idea of happiness really comes from getting what you want and when you want it Mm -hmm. and it comes from letting your fleshly appetites rule Rule and govern you yeah and then you'll start chasing your happiness at the expense of others at the expense of your own integrity Mm -hmm. like why because instead of following his ways then you'll do whatever crazy things yeah to feed You'll do whatever you need to do to feed the world you've created as your own God. And then you look around and you wonder why you feel so empty and out of control. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Which, and we'll get into this in another podcast, but that's not how, that's not how God designed it. God designed us. He's the creator. Yeah. He created us. So he designed for all those desires that we like fight to meet inside our own heart even at the expense of others, he designed us so that he would meet those desires. Mm, mm-hmm. And so when we, when we try to fill those desires that he's created inside of us with anything that's less than him, it just, it'll never satisfy. Right. And you'll just keep going keep trying, trying, trying to fill that hole, keep trying. But he will allow us, but God will allow us to, to choose or to pick this world that we've created over yeah. him. Like he'll he'll allow la- he'll allow us to try to satisfy ourselves again and again and again, and mm-hmm. again because once like the point is that he's not forcing us right to love him. Right. So it's insane. Yep, sounds like a hamster wheel. <laughs> so, you know, in other words, when we read um Psalms 37:4 it said God gives us the desires of our heart. Meaning that God's not going to make you do anything and he wants you to choose to follow him and choose to love him and to submit and how, and what he defines as right and wrong. But if you choose not to, he's not going to make you. Yeah. And so he allows us in a sense to be the drivers in our, in the driver's seat of our, of our own lives. Yeah. But, and this is a really big, but is that <laughs> our choices when whatever choice we make has consequences. So if we put up our fist, uh, you know, like Adam and Eve did and say, God up yours, I'm going to do things my own way, where I'm in essence saying that I, leave me alone, like the hand is out, the mm-hmm. arm is outstretched, God, leave me alone, then he will. 
because it says in Psalms 37, 4, God gives us the desires of our heart. So if you say flat out, I, gee, I don't want you, Jesus. I don't want to have anything to do with your kingdom. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to live my life the way I want to, and I'm going to define right and wrong. Yeah. Then he will, because, because he honors us as people. So if that's the choice you want to make, then like Adam and you have to deal with the consequences of those choices. And yeah. he doesn't want that. He really doesn't. He wants us to choose him and to be blessed by him so that our li- our heart will be alive instead of aching with fear and doubt and uh, anxiety and shame and condemnation. And when we come to him, he wants to breathe life into our heart and where we can walk be it that we're cleansed from all the, the effects of the sin that we did in the past, and that we walk in truth with him and we walk in peace. He's a God of peace and he's a God of beauty. And that's what he wants to give us. Yeah. But he's allowing us to choose. He's never going to force himself on us. Man, that's so good. So I think it's also interesting that um, with Adam and Eve, like their their actions spoke <laughs> for them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they weren't, it's one thing to just say, man, I want to follow you, Jesus. And it looks very different than if you actually are. But their actions were saying to God, mm-hmm. like, no, clearly you're not. And so you can't just like say the thing. Say one thing. But you actually have to live it out. Yeah. And your actions will betray you or confirm you. However right. Look at that. This is so good. This has been so good. So, Sandy, is there any final or parting words? Gosh, I don't think so. I've talked a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but it was great. Well, good. I I know even just sitting here that I'm like, was learning stuff. Yeah, that's good. Um, Okay. So then here's what I'm hearing. Is that, man, God created us for him. That we're created to know him and to walk with him and to talk with him how it was always meant to be in the garden. And in the garden, in the beginning, that there wasn't fear, shame, guilt, or condemnation, that none of that is from the Lord. And that when we choose sin, it pollutes, it pollutes the world. It pollutes his perfect kingdom. And that separates us. It drives us away from him. But we always have the choice to come back. And I think that that's the most crazy, wonderful, best news ever in the entire world is that he didn't just leave us separated. He didn't leave us to to rot in our mistakes. And he didn't, he didn't leave us there saying, you can't ever come back to me, but he paid a price. He laid down his life that Jesus went to the cross to be the ultimate covering to be the ultimate covering for our sins. And like Sandy said before, not just covering, but it gets rid of them. It blots them out that they are no more so that we can be restored into that original design of walking with him and talking with him, how we were always meant to. That's the beautiful news of the gospel that we can come to him. So I think as we wrap up today's session, that there's just a couple of questions just a couple of reflection questions that we want to invite you into. But if you can just get to a place where you can respond in your heart and ask Jesus this question, he'll just say inside of you, Jesus, will you highlight an area of my life where I'm choosing to be my own God? And then will you just listen to him for a minute? 
And then just say, if you want Jesus, we invite you into these areas. And we say yes to your plans and to your ways. That we declare, Jesus, that your way is the best. And God, your way was the best. And we submit and surrender to your leadership now. Holy Spirit, will you help us? Will you guide us? That we can come before you today honest about where we are. No hiding. Like Adam and Eve, that that we won't hide. That we'll say, here we are, God. We ask for help. That you'd help us through this. And we know, we know how much you care for us. And God, we just ask that we would love you deeply. And that we would get to know you more. And then God, as we walk this out, that you would in fact be high and exalted in our lives and that we would choose life. So we love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thanks, Sandy. This has been fun. Well, you're welcome anytime. Yeah. So we will talk to you guys next time. Later. All right. All right bye. <laughs>